Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Emily Newmeyer, And I'm Sotiris Dimitriades. And today we'll be talking with Dr. Lorenz Korn. He's professor for Islamic art history and archaeology at the University of Bamberg at the Institute of Oriental Studies. Uh, Professor Korn is a, both an architectural historian as well as an archaeologist. Uh, he's worked mostly on uh, earlier material, uh, Ayyubid, Seljuk, and Mamluk, and uh, he's also directed excavations at uh, Golpaigan in Iran. Um, but today uh, he is working on a new project about uh, fountains in 19th century Istanbul and uh, one special fountain uh, in particular, which we'll be talking about today. So, uh, Professor Korn, welcome to the Ottoman History Podcast. Well, thank you very much. So, um, just just to get us started, um, tell us a little bit about about the project and uh, what what fountain are we are we going to be talking about today? Well, the fountain uh, that uh, I'm working on is the Almanchesmesi or German fountain. Um, one might also call it the Imperial Fountain uh, because it was uh, donated by Wilhelm II, German mm -hmm. Emperor and King of Prussia after his visit to Istanbul in 1898. And where, where is it in, this, in the city? Well, you cannot miss the German Fountain if okay. you visit Istanbul. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure every visitor to Istanbul has seen the fountain because it's... Uh, merely 200 meters from the Hagia Sophia mm -hmm. and uh, standing on the Hippodrome right in front of the Blue Mosque mm -hmm. uh, in a line with the two obelisks on the Hippodrome. So it's uh, absolutely centrally placed in the city and uh, I think many visitors to Istanbul have past the fountain without noticing that it is a, an interesting monument. Some visitors to Istanbul who have looked at the fountain have uh, ridiculed it as a colonial object or as an object of imperialism, as an object of historicism, of bad taste. Oh. Um, so that is also part of the history of this fountain. <laughs> so it's been accused of... Uh uh, not being in uh, the most attractive fountain, so maybe maybe you could give us, and that's that's one person's point of view, but maybe you could give us an idea of what it does look like. Well, the fountain is a pavilion with a, with a dome on eight columns. Uh, it has an octagonal plan, and uh, I think part of the or an in important part of the look of the fountain uh, is the material. Hmm. It is built of white marble, uh, black granite for the columns, bronze capitals and a bronze uh, roof. And there are mosaics. Particularly when you look inside, you, uh, you can see the golden mosaic of the interior of the dome. You mentioned the fountain was a gift. Could you give us some more information on the occasion of its construction? Sure. Wilhelm, Wilhelm II and his wife, Auguste Victoria, visited Istanbul in 1898 as part of their oriental journey, which had different aspects. Um, it was conceived um, 
partly as a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, partly as a political mission to enforce uh, ties between Germany and Turkey um, on the economic and uh, political uh, level. And um, the imperial couple um, also traveled in the footsteps of the father of Wilhelm, who had been in Istanbul in 1869 and who had uh, visited some of the places that Wilhelm was also going to see. The uh, journey to Istanbul was also part of a history of personal friendship between Wilhelm and Abdul Hamid. It was an epic bromance, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think part of this this. Uh, personal relationship developed also during their during the stay in Istanbul um, they had all they had uh, or the imperial couple had already met Abdul Hamid um, uh, nine years earlier on their first uh, stay in Istanbul um, shortly after Wilhelm had ascended to the throne um, so they were revisiting this time for a slightly longer stay and um, we know quite a bit about the protocol of the of the imperial visit about the many uh, dinners uh, dinners receptions uh, visits to certain places in and uh, outside of Istanbul so it was a meticulously planned um, state event Uh, Istanbul had been prepared for the visit weeks before by mm. paving, repaving streets, cleaning the city, etc. And um, Wilhelm was extremely fond of the uh, cordial way in which the people of Istanbul had, had uh, received him. Um, apparently, um, Parts of the populace of Istanbul had been cheering to Wilhelm when he uh, rode through the city, uh, for example, on his way from from Eyüp uh, through the the old city of Istanbul, and he was extremely pleased. So after the visit, he wanted to to do something for the city of Istanbul, mm -hmm. and uh, on the last day of his visit, he decided to. Uh, to make a gift mm -hmm. to the city of Istanbul and to present them with a fountain. Okay. Why did it why a fountain? He said, you know. Well, why a fountain? That's a that's an interesting question and um one would have to look more closely into what Wilhelm knew about uh, Istanbul, the history of the city and about Turkish culture. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm quite sure that he already had imp an impression about Of, of the role that uh, water distribution and fountains played in the city of Istanbul. Mm -hmm. um, it might have been a superficial idea that he had, but uh, uh, he ex uh, explicitly referred to the hot summer and the lack of water um, under which part of the Istanbulus had been suffering. Okay. So we don't know who who gave him that idea, um, but at least um, he was fixed on the uh, on the idea of, of uh, donating a fountain. 
Okay. And uh, so he he says, let's let's build a fountain. Uh, and did he did he have a specific idea where it needed to be, or did he did he sort of said generally? Let's the, build a fountain, and then the, the location was worked out later. The question where the fountain should come to to be uh, is an interesting one um, because it was also debated between the German side and the Ottoman government in sure. the months to follow. Yeah. Wilhelm wanted the fountain to be in the old city of Stambul. Okay, so he had a general idea. <laughs> he had a general idea, and it should be in a public place. In a public place mm -hmm. and uh, basically the uh, German embassy in in Constantinople came up with two uh, spots that in their view were suited for a fountain and that was the square in front of Bayezid mosque um, basically the square uh, on which the gate of the university opens today and uh -huh. uh, at that period, it was the gate of the Ministry of War. Right. And um, the other one was the Atmeidana, the Hippodrome, mm -hmm. uh, in front of the Mosque of Sultan Ahmed, the Blue Mosque, mm -hmm. and uh, next to the, uh, to the Hagia Sophia. Right, right. So two squares in prominent positions in the old city of Istanbul. The uh, Ottoman government uh, had... Uh, Slightly other views, particularly the Sultan himself. Ah, interesting. Um, so he didn't necessarily, you know, they weren't thrilled about the fountain gift. <laughs> well, that's a that it was a matter of negotiation. We we know, uh, we still don't know exactly what went on between the different Ottoman actors. Mm, so okay. uh, the 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 vizier, the Sultan, the administration. Um, but it is clear that that the Sultan. Abdul Hamid wanted the fountain to be close to his Yildiz Palace. At least that's what he suggested to the German government. Really? And he, it, didn't it, he didn't want it in the old city. Apparently, he, like apparently he liked the idea of the fountain, but he uh, would have preferred the, uh, it to be in Nishantash, the quarter that he himself had promoted. Uh, we have some... Interesting passages in documents, uh, correspondence between the German embassy and the German foreign ministry, um, in which the ambassador reports to Berlin um, about his conversations with the Sultan or the Vizier and his personal view on the matter. And he, the ambassador, says, um, We should actually uh, not build the fountain in Nishantash because that is a newly developed quarter uh, where um, people where where uh, people live who have no need of a fountain at all oh, okay. okay so if his majesty wants to um to do something for the people it should not be in this quarter huh what a complex negotiation that was going on um so from a methodological perspective all these quarrels and back and forth uh, are leaving us with a paper trail in the archives we can follow. Yes, and that's actually quite interesting. Um, the whole idea of the project in which we are working originated from documents that uh, my Turkish colleague Salih Shahin of the Beyazid Kütüphanesi 
found in the Ottoman archives, mm -hmm. in in which uh, part of the correspondence uh, about the fountain is has been preserved. Mm -hmm. I have been looking on the German side, and there are some archival sources um, preserved uh, in the archive of the German Foreign Ministry, okay. and also in the uh, in the state archive of uh, the Prussian heritage. So th the history of planning of the fountain uh, can be traced through these papers. Mm -hmm. What we hardly have is a history of uh, how the design of the, of the fountain developed. So um, that was a task of, uh, of an architect in the Prussian Ministry of Religious Affairs, Hmm. Um, Do we have his name? Well, he was Max Spitter, um, a church architect who had been building Protestant churches in and around Berlin and other parts of uh, Prussia. So he was experienced with um, uh, historicist architecture, architecture referring or alluding to distant periods, Uh, which was common in the architecture of the 19th cent century, of course, all over Europe. Um, and Spitter had uh, the confidence of the emperor. Th they uh, had been acquainted from earlier projects um, on uh, the renovation of a large monastery in Prussia. Hmm. So um, Spitter was... was uh, commissioned to uh, deliver designs for the fountain in 1899 and uh, part of his work has been preserved. Unfortunately, most of it uh, has been lost due to war losses in the archives um, but there are two designs um, that we can still study so um, and we'll just, just one of them is a preliminary or both of them are preliminary uh, designs of for the fountain okay one of the colored drawings uh, gives the impression of uh, of romanesque church architecture um so it seems that this was actually in the line of what spitter had been designing in the years before And uh, just to remind our listeners, we will have uh, several images of the fountain, and uh, we'll also be talking about um, uh, we'll be talking about some of these designs that you can find on the website at autumnhistorypodcast.com. Welcome back to the Ottoman History Podcast. We're talking uh, today with Dr. Uh, Lorenz Korn about the uh, the fountain in the Kaiserbrunnen in uh, the Atmedana in, in Istanbul. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the design. So Kaiser Wilhelm had a really a strong idea of uh, that he wanted a fountain, but he uh, and did he... Uh, understand, did he have an idea of how it should look and, and how did the designer sort of go from there? So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about one of the designs that 
uh, we'll have on the website uh, that our listeners can find. Wilhelm um, had a very clear idea about uh, architectural design. And uh, apparently he himself had uh, made sketches for the fountain, which are unfortunately not oh, preserved. No. <laughs> uh, we would have loved to see yeah. what His Majesty himself had <laughs> been thinking. Um, and he later, we know about these sketches because he refers to them in a uh, remark, in a marginal uh, note uh, on one of the documents. Um, the designs that, or the drawings that have been preserved are by, by Max Spitter, the architect, and um, he submitted them together with a memorial, uh, or, uh, with a with a written document explaining the dimensions, the function, etc., uh, to the emperor. Um, and uh, one of the drawings shows uh, quite a large structure, much larger than it was later realized. Right, because there are people down at the bottom for scale, so we get a sense of the, the idea of how large this is supposed to be. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, we can also see the... Uh, gables with tripartite uh, arched windows uh, the faceted roof of the of the fountain uh, the zigzag uh, bands and uh, the imperial crown on top wow yeah. and um, part of that looks like uh, german neo romanesque architecture as it was customary in church mm -hmm. architecture in the late 19th century um Part of it looks quite unusual. Yeah. I think the the crown on top uh, is a is a unique feature, and that was e apparently immediately dropped. Really? And, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was not appreciated. So the, the other design that has been preserved it's is much. much closer to uh, the fountain uh, as it has been built. Um, it shows a rounded dome, and uh, the columns are much. Uh, much longer or s more slender mm -hmm. and uh, it seems that the whole structure is already smaller and that that revision was due to the commentary of the of Wilhelm um, which has been preserved in his own handwriting on the margin of uh, one document and oh, that's uh, amazing. which uh, tells us something about the the way in which uh, Wilhelm interfered even with the smallest matters and uh, But uh, architectural design was apparently very important in his view. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he had his own taste. And for him, according to this remark, it was important that the fountain should blend with uh, the surrounding architecture and not rival the surrounding architecture. Mm -hmm. So that was a question of dimensions and of style. It sounds like a fascinating process of design, especially the micromanage aspects. I wanted to ask why the choice of uh, Romanesque, neo-Romanesque style, why not something more orientalist, maybe? Well, I think that's uh, we can only guess that Spitta uh, first remained in his, uh, his own tradition and uh, stuck to what he was used to, to do uh, in, in church architecture, and Uh, only slightly exoticizing uh, his design. And um, 
well, the fountain as it was later built um, clearly uh, bears more reference to uh, to the traditions of of Istanbul in terms of Byzantine uh, architectural language. Now, uh, just to clarify, uh, did did Spitter ever travel to Istanbul? No, Spitter uh, remained in Germany, and uh, of course we can ask. Uh, Uh, where did he get his ideas from and and what were his ideas about Istanbul and of course we have to uh, look at the uh, at the books that were around and that were as he, at his disposal maybe also some photographs we know that the german embassy sent photographs of fountains in istanbul to berlin Uh, as uh, Ottoman documentary fountains. Ottoman fountains okay. as documentary material uh, that the architect had asked for. Uh, so he had photographs of the fountain of Ahmed III in front of him huh. and he designed something completely right. different. <laughs> he said, hmm, <laughs> I'm going to do something a little different actually. <laughs> yeah. So he's, you know, he's really accessing um, information as much as he can from what we could call, say, you know, paper architecture through photographs and, and, and drawings, but uh, in plans. But uh, he didn't really, he never went. So there's this sort of... Uh, Spitta never went to Istanbul. Yeah, right. Neither in the during the design process nor for the mm -hmm. inauguration of the fountain. Right. Not for the inauguration. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it was a it was a long trip, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he sent his uh, uh, he he sent one of his employees, uh -huh. um, the Regierungsbauführer, Mr. Scheele, okay. uh, who was in charge of uh, uh, yeah overlooking the actual construction mm -hmm. of the fountain. Um, all the all parts of the fountain were prefabricated in Germany. Really. And then shipped to Turkey. Ah, uh, maybe part of the marble f uh, blocks for the foundation were not uh, were not worked on in Germany, but in in Italy because they came from the uh, the marble blocks came from Carrara. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, the columns, the granite columns. Uh, came the or the material for the granite columns came from Norway mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. all the bronze capitals and uh, bases for the columns and other fittings were cast in Germany and the mosaics of the fountain were also prefabricated in Germany really? and then mounted in place in Istanbul so do they just have like a little <laughs> some sort of plan where <laughs> they said you know Yes, sure. I mean, the the whole thing was meticulously yeah. planned, and wow. then down to uh, the down to the tesserae, yeah, nearly to the level of the of the mosaic tesserae. Wow. Yeah. But uh, at least it was only uh, put together uh, on the spot uh, within a few months. That's really interesting because I mean, in in terms of architecture, um, we often in in both. Uh, Ottoman as well. There are many examples where you you have a building that's designed in one place and then it's built elsewhere. You know, like I'm, I'm thinking of of Sinan's mosques all all throughout the provinces, and that you know you have a plan that goes 
out, but then you have local uh, masons, and you know the, the there's this kind of negotiation between the plan and the know-how and the the materials of the the sort of locate the the sort of uh, peripheral location. But in this case, you do not have this sort of idea that uh, local materials, local workers dealing with a a, a a foreign plan or a plan that comes from elsewhere. This is really materials and design is coming from from outside. Yeah, it's a kind of a spaceship action, yeah, that mm. uh, something is really imported on all levels exactly. uh, from the design to the last uh, piece of mosaic. Mm -hmm. And sure, there were uh, Turkish um, or Ottoman workmen um, sure. employed for putting things together, but of course under supervision of German um yeah the german master and uh, i wonder how they dealt with uh, calligraphic features so maybe we should describe a little bit about the the mosaic uh what what does what are the designs in the in the mosaic which of course is interesting because of you know gold mosaic is is very much at at, at home in in istanbul and especially in the atmaidana the the Hagia sophia has a uh, you know beautiful uh, byzantine gold mosaic so uh maybe we could talk a little bit about about the designs um in the mosaic right i think uh, there are several elements that are interesting among them the medallions in which uh the monogram of a w for wilhelm and the tura of abdulhamid alternate mm -hmm. um as uh, representing the two monarchs mm -hmm. And, uh, well, you have mentioned the, the calligraphy. The calligraphy proper uh, is, uh, can be seen on the archivolts, so on the bands accompanying the eight arches of, uh, under the dome, mm -hmm. or arches that carry the dome. Um, and uh, they are inscribed with a, with a Turkish poem, mm -hmm. um, which was apparently written by a high official in the Ministry of War, and oh, okay. then calligraphed by a famous Istanbul calligrapher, uh, Izzet Efendi, yeah. who was a teacher of calligraphy in the Galatasaray uh, school mm -hmm. and uh, had become famous for other works. And uh, so he had been asked to, to, uh, uh, to provide the... Um, the calligraphy, the, the models that were then um, executed in mosaic in Berlin. That's incredible. Another interesting element in the mosaics is, is the uh, ornament. So um, some elements that we tend to just uh, only marginally perceive. And uh, for example, there is a large uh, circular ornament in the apex of the dome. And in, I think that is inspired by by late Roman or early Byzantine mosaics um, that uh, the designers could know from publications on Italy. So um, it was the probably the allusion like to the like Ravenna. Uh -huh. um, so they were probably alluding alluding to. The uh, period of Justinian as a as a historical period in which Constantinople uh, was a capital of 
a large empire before uh, Ottoman domination. And uh, it's interesting that this is a point of reference. Absolutely. I mean, the triangulation of knowledge and how it's circulating is really remarkable that we have, you know, a Justinianic uh, mosaic, flo you know, from coming from Italy, coming to, to Germany and then <laughs> making its way to Istanbul, where, you know, within, you know, 100 meters, there's, uh, you know, a monument with also fantastic uh, Byzantine mosaic. I mean, it's it's really just... It's uh, it's definitely a monument of its time, I would say. Um, but uh, you mentioned the inauguration ceremony. Uh, was this, to what extent was this kind of, you know, I mean, obviously this was a gift, but there had to have been some kind of a P PR campaign <laughs> as well. Yeah, the inauguration ceremony was a huge event. Uh, apparently more than 10,000 people were present on that 27th of January 1901. Mm -hmm. um, the date was deliberately chosen because it was the birthday of uh, Wilhelm. Uh. Um, accidentally, it was also the 200th anniversary of uh, Prussian royalty or Prus the Prussian kingdom. Um, it was, of course, um, a, a question of, uh, of protocol. Who was to be present and who did what on the uh, inauguration. Okay. Um, uh, German uh, sh ships of the German uh, Navy um, were ordered to Istanbul um, so that their uh, crews could be could serve on the inauguration, and there was a sp uh, mission, uh, a hand-picked mission by. Office, officers, high officers of the German uh, army uh, who uh, were also personal, um, what is the term, adjutanten, I don't know, um, adjuncts to, to his majesty, mm -hmm. um, to underline the, the personal character of the donation. Mm. And uh, on the Ottoman side, uh, two ministers were present, um, the sultan himself was not, of course, because it would have been, uh, it would have been uh, on unequal terms in the protocol if oh. the sultan himself uh, had uh, graced the ceremony with his presence. And on the German side, only a few high officers uh, represented uh, the, the the emperor. And of course, Abdul Hamid never really liked leaving Gildas in the first place, right? Exactly, and that also shows up in the correspondence before. Um, he, when, when the question about the, uh, the, the place of the fountain is discussed, um, Abdul Hamid introduces the inauguration ceremony already. He says, I would imagine the inauguration of the fountain as a really big thing, and I would even come and be present if the fountain is going to be built next to Yildiz Palace or in Nishantasche. And if the German side prefers to have the fountain in Istanbul, it's my question whether it would make a big difference if I wouldn't attend the inauguration. This documentation... Upon which <laughs> the, the German emperor notes on the margin, no, it doesn't matter at all in <laughs> French. <laughs> Mais this pas du tout. This correspondence sounds so passive-aggressive. 
<laughs> yeah, this is this, that's that's a great story. Yeah. Well, we have a few pictures about the, from the inauguration ceremony. So the uh, fountain was actually veiled, and um, then uh, the the uh, master builder who had been responsible for its completion um, uh, stood up and um, to one of the Ottoman officials, uh, uh, or to no, I think he, to to the German emperor to the German ambassador reported that the fountain is now f uh, is now completed and is ready for use mm -hmm. and then the German ambassador turned to the Ottoman officials uh, um, donating the fountain in the name of his uh, his majesty Wilhelm and then the Ottomans uh, responded with their speeches and of course music was played the Hamidiye march and Heil dir im Siegerkranz uh, and uh, then uh, the fountain was officially opened by opening one of the, or several of the taps and uh, filling vessels with water. And then, of course, the uh, members of the of the High Commission also had to drink from the, <laughs> from the water. I, I, have to, I have to say that um, just the photograph uh, of the inauguration ceremony, just the, the the evocative power of the image. I mean, just uh, this amazing photograph of um, of the the veiled fountain, right, with the wind moving. It's just, it's such a, and it also, it sort of just so starkly stands out from the crowd. I mean, it's just, it's such an incredible uh, photograph, and how dramatic that must have been uh, to see the veil sort of, you know, uh, removed so to speak the 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 covering the white covering and you know it's such it's a it's a fountain that i mean the 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 structure has so many um you know sort of intricate designs to have it covered by this white sheet and then it being revealed must have been quite the sight um so we talked a little bit about the the mosaic uh there's also um some other details that maybe people wouldn't see today i think right um there Originally, there were mosaics uh, on the flanks of the bases of the fountain um, that have later been replaced by marble relief. And uh, it's actually not uh, quite uh, sure when this replacement took pl uh, was, was done. I think it was in 1907 after the fountain had been damaged by vandalism. Um, about which we have uh, new newspaper articles. So not everyone. Um, but was a but fan. there are that there, there are no clear documents. Uh, there is no clear documentary evidence about okay. the the repair uh, to the fountain. The mosaics that have disappeared were completely different from those in the f in the dome because they uh, did not refer to any historical style or historic prototypes. Mm -hmm. They were just uh, arrangements of um, flowers and plants uh, that certainly alluded to the to the richness of the empire or various climatic regions or so. But uh, these are these are just uh, associations that that we are free to to make by ourselves, and uh, we can also merely see them as decor decoration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Do we have any sense of uh, we we talked about the uh, the inauguration in Istanbul? But was there any any 
sense on the other side in Germany, the, the promotion of the construction of this fountain, was there any kind of commemorative material that you've come across in terms of, I don't know, postage stamps or medals or, or, or lithographs that were being distributed um, on the German side? Well, of course, it's difficult to assess the, the effect of publications or printed material and to know how widely it, it was circulated. But uh, it's clear that the fountain soon became a postcard motif. Ah. And, uh, of course, the postcard was the, uh, was the Internet of the time around 1900. Yes. Um, uh, so one could, could travel the world uh, through collecting postcards. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, uh, the, the imperial fountain very soon made it to the postcard mm -hmm. prints. And, uh, um, and we have a couple of photographs in which the the fountain was deliberately taken as the primary object, and uh, uh, we are. I'm I'm still uh, working on collecting reactions to to the construction of the fountain, and I think it triggered some reactions on uh, the international level because every. A diplomatic move between the empires, the European empires and the Ottoman Empire, uh, was was closely watched, and uh, yeah, I mean that was of course the the topic of of, inter of international press, just as the imperial visit had been uh, covered by international press very very closely. This ties into another. Uh episode that we recorded in, for season five with Ed Hemeldem for the Camera Ottomana exhibition at the RCAC in Istanbul. And, you know, for people who visited the exhibition and also in our discussion uh, with Professor Eldem, we really got a sense of um, the, the power of photography to, um, you know, in terms of popular culture, popular media, newspapers, postcards, and how this really ties in with that, how... Um, you know, it's a it's 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 a monument in an urban context, but also it enters a sort of a wider popular culture through the the vehicle, the photograph. So, uh, I think that that ties in nicely with that what, what we talked about there. Yeah, I would be interested in knowing more about uh, Turkish reactions to mm -hmm. the fountain. Um, how uh, was it accepted? or maybe also rejected uh, by Istanbul uh, observers uh, was the style acceptable or was it uh, was it perceived as uh, too foreign there are hardly any ottoman elements in the architecture of the fountain um, if we well if we leave aside the the, the general domed structure mm -hmm. um, and uh, was the the fact that it was commissioned by a by a foreign monarch um, acceptable to the people in Istanbul? Mm -hmm. Did they use the fountain at all? Mm -hmm. um, and then, what did Istanbul authors write about it? Mm -hmm. And it seems that uh, already by the nineteen fifties or so, it was um, more or less uh, self evident that it belonged to the historical fabric of Istanbul and that it was historicized in terms of this is an it, this is a period of the past and uh, we have very little to do with it mm -hmm. mm, even such a rec 
relatively recently <laughs> constructed building. Yeah, compared to yeah, but maybe maybe we can find more yeah. material about this. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, so hopefully some of our listeners will <laughs> perhaps have some information about that. Well, I'd be glad, and of course I'd also be glad to uh, to know where the little model the, uh, has remained that mm. uh, apparently existed and that has been photographed and uh, so uh, there are some, still some some open questions about the material okay so you know so hopefully our listeners will get on you know crowdsourcing some some information um so we have a, a mystery the mystery the mystery model uh, the case of the mystery model we'll see we'll see if it can be solved hopefully um but anyway uh i th i think this is a a good place to uh to wrap up thank you so much dr kern for your for your time and and talking about a monument that uh i think a lot of people have passed but maybe haven't really uh passed by uh but haven't didn't know the whole story behind it so uh my pleasure thank you yeah, thank you. And uh, I want to also thank uh, our, our co-host, Sotiris Dimitriadis, for, for his help. And um, I'd like to remind our listeners again that um, you'll find a full bibliography and quite a few of the images that we've discussed today on the website, which is www.autumnhistorypodcast.com. And until next time, take care.